Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, Battle Ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, O praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so World Youth Day um, has ended, and there's some reports coming out of a, a sacrilegious reservation of the Blessed Sacrament. And this really does upset me because, you know, we're the church. We should know better. So the first example of this sacrilegious behavior happened at the Mass for the Portuguese pilgrims where they used Tupperware bowls instead of Saborium to minister the sacrament, uh, the Blessed Sacrament to the pilgrims. Th this is... This is not acceptable, not acceptable. Uh, some days later, another sacrilege emerged and this was in a tent. It was a tent to reserve the Blessed Sacrament and there's pictures of this tent and on folding tables, they stacked rubber storage boxes that contained the Blessed Sacrament. These are the big storage boxes you find in your garage where you put your tools or your uh, storage of, uh, I don't know, clothing. You know, it's like a tube, two or three foot wide by one and a half foot long by a foot high. Rubber boxes. And they put candles on both sides of these boxes, you know, the sanctuary lamp to let people know. And you can see the children kneeling before the rubber boxes. And then they put a plant on top of the rubber boxes. You know, this is forbidden. You can't do this. Um, the church has never favored uh, efficiency over holiness, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Let me read to you from Canon 938, paragraph 2. The tabernacle in which the most holy Eucharist is reserved is to be situated in some part of the church or oratory, which is distinguished, conspicuous, beautifully decorated, and suitable for prayer. Paragraph three, the tabernacle in which the most holy Eucharist is reserved habitually is to be immovable, made of solid and opaque material and locked in such a way that the danger of profanation is avoided as much as possible. Okay, so I realize this is a makeshift event, although I'm sure there's places, uh, churches and, and basilicas in Lisbon that you could have reserved the Eucharist in. But the point is the tent is wide open. Anybody could walk in there and just take a box, one of these rubber bins, and just walked off with it. That's not okay. Not okay. You know, <clears throat> when we look back to the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, I think there's about five chapters uh, dedicated to the specifics of how the Lord wanted the tent, the meeting tent, but also the uh, Ark of the Covenant to be built. And it was of the finest materials. You know, the gold is all covered in gold, the acacia wood. Uh, and, and it was such a sacred item that it's kept in the middle of the temple, the middle of the tent before they had the temple, that was called the Holy of Holies. And only one day a year on um, the Great Day of Atonement, 
could the high priest enter in to the Holy of Holies, to the tabernacle, where he would uh, bring the blood and the bronze <clears throat> from the bronze altar into there uh, for the purpose of praying prayers of atonement. And in fact, the descriptions of the, the methodology that had to be used by the high priest and the ritual cleansing and washing before he would go in were so serious that they tied a red cord around that priest's waist. Why did they do that? They did that because if the priest were to be struck dead because he didn't follow the protocols properly, nobody's going in there after he's struck dead. So this way they could pull him out by the rope and nobody would have to go in and, and also be struck dead. This is how serious God takes um, his, the holiness of his glory. This is just his glory. You know, the Lord wasn't in the, the ark. He hovered above it. His spirit hovered above it. And the Shekinah glory would, would radiate out to, the, to out of the tent. That's his presence in spirit form. When we look at the Blessed Sacrament, and this is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, alive, alive, um, we're talking about a step further. We have to be even more uh, reverent, more careful in the way we handle the Eucharist. We can't treat the Eucharist as though it's like everything else. If I'm going to throw, you know, my uh, old sneakers in a, in a rubber bin, that is not a place to put Jesus. My Lord and my God have mercy on us. What are we doing? And we wonder why the people, we wonder why the lay faithful are starting to lose their uh, faith in the fact that that is Jesus, truly present. When you treat him like that, who would think that's God? We would never treat God that way. If Jesus were alive and in bodily form, would we ever try to put him in a rubber crate? No. This is really uh, just so dis disheartening to hear this. So these five chapters in Exodus uh, describe for us the tabernacle and its contents uh, and the mercy seat above and the Holy of Holies. And, and we know from the canon law I just read to you that the the church has stated this is to be something that is set apart, that is holy, that is sacred, that we should not be treating lightly. You know, have you ever walked in a church and you can't find the tabernacle? You can't find the sanctuary lamp? It reminds me of Mary Magdalene. They have taken the Lord. I don't know where they've put him. I've said that in many a church where I'm like, where, where is he? Where is Jesus? I don't see him. We're running out of time, people. Because every day, people perish. The average number of people that die in a day, I think it's about 350,000 people around the world every day. And uh, that's just out of the womb. There's another 380,000 people that die in the womb. More people are dying in the womb in 2023 than out of the womb. It's a sad fact, but it's true. And when are we going to start teaching the people the truth about the Eucharist? You can say this is God, and then when you put him in a rubber bin, everyone's thinking, why would we put God in a bin like that? But, you know, these I have to tell you, when you look at the pictures that are posted, these three lovely children are all kneeling before the rubber bins. That's great faith. That's great faith. God bless them. Okay, enough of my ranting. Uh, today, I want to speak to you about the saint of the day. And I have a relic of her. 
uh, Edith Sein, who is now known as St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Um, of course, it's not a first-class relic because she was um, martyred in Auschwitz uh, in the ovens. So this is a piece of her, one of her habits from the convent. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, she was born in October uh, 12th of 1891, and she died on August 9th, 1942. She was a German uh, philosopher. She was a German philosopher, and she got so caught up in uh, the philosophy she was studying, which wasn't the greatest, you know, there's a lot of philosophies that lead you away from God. Those are the ones she was studying, like Nietzsche and others. Um, and eventually, this German-Jewish philosopher converted to Christianity. She became a discalced Carmelite nun. And uh, she's one of the six patron saints of Europe, along with our patron here, Catherine of Siena. So one of my um, one of my favorite quotes from Teresa Benedicta is the innermost essence of love is self-offering. The entry wall to all things is the cross. The entryway to all things is the cross. She knew the cross. She loved the cross, um, and she understood the power of the cross. And then she she read the life of Teresa of Avila. And she was very much moved to become a uh, Carmelite. And so she did. <clears throat> and this great, uh, this great woman entered the um, monastery in Cologne on October 14th, 1933. And on the first vespers of the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila and received the religious habit as a novice in April of 1934 taking the name Teresa Benedicta Acruce in remembrance of Teresa Avila, but also in honor of Benedict, St. Benedict. She had a devotion to St. Benedict as well. And then she made her temporary vows on April 21st in 1935 and her perpetual vows on April 21st, 1938. Now, the same year, she and her biological sister, Rosa, who was also a convert, uh, and also became a nun, would handle the community's needs outside the monastery. So they were sent out to the Netherlands for their um, safety during uh, the war. Ironically, the Netherlands didn't turn out to be so safe because there was a response to the pastoral letter from the Dutch bishops in which they made the treatment of the Jews by the Nazis um, a central theme and all baptized Catholics of Jewish origin, according to police reports, were arrested by the Gestapo on the following Sunday, August 2nd, 1942. And they were sent to Auschwitz to the concentration camp where they were all murdered in the gas chamber on August 9th, 1942. This is how her life ended, um, really giving everything uh, as a martyr along with um, Maximilian Kolbe, who was also uh, exterminated in these prison camps. So it's something to ponder today, you know. Um, she found the truth of uh, the gospel, and she embraced it. And it should give you a lot of hope, you know. A lot of the children, the kids, I should say, the young people, young adults that come to me, and for whatever reason, they're fascinated by the exorcism part of my uh, ministry. Uh, many of them are searching. 
and and they're all looking in all sorts of places for the supernatural. But you know, you can't just look for the supernatural because there's good supernatural, God, the angels, and the heavenly saints, and then there's the bad supernatural, the demons and Lucifer. And you know, he does disguise himself and tries to play the part of the angel of light. And many of the young people are getting caught up in, uh, I would call them scams, demonic scams that draw people in to the darkness and, and snare them. And then they get caught and they're stuck. And I was just speaking with a young man yesterday on the phone. I don't even, uh, I've never met him, I don't believe. And he was saying how um, he has a hard time believing everything the church teaches. He's in this phase where he's, he's desiring more but he's still sort of on the fence in a small degree. But I, I know for a fact, I was praying for him, that he's going to come full in. I mean, he is a Catholic, but he's, his, his assent of his will will also be given at some point. But what he's, you know, one of the things he said is, do you really have to go to church every Sunday? I said, yeah, you really do. Why do we have to do this? Listen, it goes back to the garden. When God created the whole universe and everything was created for man, except man, man was created for God. And everything was completely provided for. There was no labor in before the fall. The, all the fruits and vegetables just abundantly just grew and sprouted on their own. There was no need to cultivate and, and work the land, so to speak. And they would walk with God in the and I think it says in the cool, coolness of the day. So they're walking with God. Everything's provided for. Life is perfect. But how can they prove they love God if there's no way to measure that? So the way they was going to be measured was here's one tree I'm going to place in the garden. Please don't touch it. And this is how you'll prove my, your love to me by your obedience in not touching that tree. Well, they were deceived, just like the young people today are being deceived, and some of the older people. And they took the fruit, and then their eyes were opened, and they realized they had sinned, and they, for the first time, experienced shame and guilt. Uh, and God seeks them out, and they have to get out of the garden. They're, they're uh, expelled, and now they labor. We labor, and we're all taxed with the original sin. It's the same today when, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and really he gives them to all of us. Uh, this is a law to help us get to heaven. It's a law to help us get to heaven. It's a good thing. As we saw two years ago, when you remove the law, there's chaos and mayhem and destruction and violence. So you need law. And the divine law is to keep us uh, right with God on our path to heaven. So if God has created everything for you and he made you out of love, he waits for you in love, and, and one day he hopes you return to him in love. Uh, and he's provided your family, everything. You may say, well, no, 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 I studied so hard for my degree to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you are. Yeah, but who made your brain? Who gave you the resilience to keep studying? Who gave you the wherewithal to complete these steps in your life that brought you to where you are today? It's all, it's God, it's God. And, and he makes connections for us to, to help us get through the right paths we should go. He gives you an angel. He gave you his mother. He gives you his spirit. He died on the cross for you. He shed blood so heaven could be open, so you could be with him in paradise. He did all this, and he just asks 
please just follow, love me, follow me, live like my son. And part of that is, is keeping holy the Sabbath, which for us as Catholics is Sunday. Go to mass and be fed on my son. The bread of life will, will bring great virtue to you. This is all he asks us. And why would we not want to go one hour a week to say thank you for all you've given us? Because we're so blessed. You have more blessings than you'll ever know until you get to heaven. I would imagine, just to guess, that the blessings we have, there are more unseen than seen, and there are more unknown than known. Okay? I think there's more unseen and unknown blessings in all of our lives than the ones we can see and know. And a lot of times we confuse what a blessing is, you know, we think sometimes maybe winning the lotto is a blessing, but many people who win the, the lottery wind up divorcing, wind up uh, moving away from their friends and families, uh, living a life uh, in seclusion to protect their stuff. And eventually some of them blow through it and wind up even worse than before they started. So you don't, you don't want to, confuse what a true blessing is. Getting to heaven is the true blessing of life. That's the goal we must always keep at the forefront of every decision we make. Is this moving me closer to heaven or further away from heaven? If it's moving you away from heaven, don't do it. Cut it out. I, I speak of this often in my, in my parish that when I uh, had a school with about 350 kids in the last parish, I would drill into them. They'd come to mass three days a week and I would drill into them. Um, what is the goal of life? And they would all scream back, heaven. And they knew this and they understood this is the goal of life. Don't miss this goal. All the other goals you might have, this is the one you have to focus on and make sure you, you are pursuing it in everything you do. So one day I said, what's the goal of life? Heaven. They all scream heaven. And then I said, how do you get there? Silence comes over the church and then a little boy screams out you gotta die that's really true you have to die to get to heaven now if heaven is our goal and death is the chariot which takes us to our goal then death is not a bad thing death is the opening of the door to your goal of heaven so it's a good thing for those who love god now if you don't love god yeah that would be a very bad thing which is why we try to teach people why it's so important to be on the right side of this issue. If you're not with God in this life, why would you think you'd be with him in the next? That makes no sense. If you do love God in this life, you have reason to believe you'll be with him in the next. If you're following his son, Jesus, if you're obeying him, if you're living a sacramental life, this is an interesting topic as well, because I've said this once before on this show. If Our Lady is saying she comes as the mother of all humanity, the queen of peace for all of humanity, and she's saying, please do these things. Please uh, read the scriptures. Please uh, fast Wednesday and Friday. Go to confession once a month. Um, to go to mass, the blessed sacrament, or receive the blessed sacrament. You know, you can't do those things if you're not Catholic. Uh, I think she wants everybody to be Catholic so that everybody could come and worship and adore her son who is truly present in the Blessed Sacrament and be nourished by his body and blood, that our body and blood would be transformed by his body and blood. Something else I, I used to say uh, in 
every now and then I'll bring it up in a homily that, you know, everybody in heaven is Catholic. That irritates people when I say it, though, because they, they misunderstand what I'm saying. They say, Father, how could you say that? You don't think that uh, King David is in heaven? I said, I do. 100%. David, I think, is in heaven. Moses is in heaven. Abraham's in heaven. Well, they're not Catholic. I go, yes, they are. The minute they came through those doors, I don't know if they dunked them in the big tank and baptized them or what they do. Maybe Peter's got a big dunk tank at the entrance for those who weren't baptized yet. I don't know how it works. But they will be Catholic because all things Catholics will be in front of them, will be visible. They will see Our Lady. They will know she was immaculate conceived. They will know she was assumed into heaven body and soul. They will know all the teachings of the church. They will know the Eucharist truly is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. All these will be manifested and made clear in heaven. So everybody in heaven is Catholic. That's not arrogant. That's a wonderful gift. But wouldn't you want to be Catholic before you get there? I think, I think, I, I hope everybody is. I want everybody to come into the great gift we've been given. It's like you have this great feast. And here's a better example. My friend, Father Tom, said it to me once like this. He says, you know, there's this little Italian family. And they've got uh, tickets to America and they get on the big boat and they, they go and they hide in the lifeboat and they've got a loaf of bread and a jug of uh, coffee. And that's what they're eating every day. They're nibbling on their little crusty stale bread and their jug of coffee. And that's it. Well, one day the little boy ventures out of the lifeboat to see what's going on. And he stumbles into the dining room and here's this buffet of every possible food you could imagine just the opulence of it all, the embarrassment of the riches of this feast. And he sees uh, a, maid, a waiter and says, is this for me? Can I eat this? He says, yes, if you're on the boat, you can eat it. And he's feasting on this wonderful food. He runs back to his family and says, guess what? There's a great feast going on inside. You have to come. And his, his dad became very obstinate. Well, what are you doing? Did you steal food? No, no, no. They said we could have it. Father couldn't believe it, so he goes with the son, and they all enter the dining room. It's like a big cruise ship. Imagine like a giant cruise ship, and all a massive like black tie event is going on. It's all free. It's it's been paid for for you. But you're you're nibbling on your stale, crusty bread, thinking you've got it. No, we want everybody to have the, the fullness and the blessings and the glory of what's in the Catholic Church, that everybody would come and, and come to the feast. And then in the next life, come to the great wedding feast of the lamb that's in heaven. That's what we want. If you really love mankind, you would want everybody to have this. Now, you're not going to force it on them. You're going to entice them. Talk about some of the great gifts you've been given. Talk about your experiences you've had um, in, in sitting in adoration. Talk about the great experiences you've had when you receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and you go back to your pew and you, you can feel his presence and you, you're one with him. Nobody else has that but us. So this is part of the mission. Remember, Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't say all nations except X, Y, Z. All nations. All is all. He wanted everybody to come into the church. So, of course, his mother wants everybody to come into the church. They've never had a thought that, that, that didn't align with each other. She doesn't say it in those words. She's, she's a, very subtle the way she does it. But when you think about what she's asking, that's exactly what she's asking for. She wants everybody to experience the fullness and the richness and the glory of what the Catholic Church offers 
are people. So today, it would be good of you to call somebody up you know has not been going to church and invite them. Say, won't you please come back this weekend or perhaps uh, for the Assumption on Tuesday. But make sure they go to confession. And if they're not Catholic, invite them to come and experience it anyway and just tell them they can't receive communion. But if they're interested, there's a way in. Because we have to start being more intentional about telling people about the wonder, the splendor, and the glory the true gift that the Catholic Church is. And the head of that church is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing off.